One important component of healing, especially from past sexual sin and abuse, is to take the time to be unbound from unhealthy and unholy relationships. Does that sound odd to you? Well, the Bible clearly teaches that the act of sex makes two people one. In this podcast, originally delivered at the Pure Freedom Masterclass, Dana Gresh will show you just what that means physiologically and spiritually. Step number four is probably the one that was hardest for me to wrap my mind around in terms of understanding and being able to defend it biblically. And I'm a girl that just won't go there unless I can do that. And so this was difficult for me. Um, But God allowed me to have a supernatural introduction to this that made it undeniable. And after I had a supernatural introduction to step number four, I was able to dissect it so that I could understand it. So I hope that I can give you some understanding about step number four, which is to unbind yourself from unhealthy emotional relationships. I probably should say to be unbound from unhealthy emotional relationships. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the sexual revolution in another part of our master class, but let me just um, land on it briefly for just a moment. It brought to us the pill, which took away what many claimed was the inconvenience of pregnancy, and it sought to define sex under the promise that you and I are just mammals. And if we are just mammals, and mammals procreate, have sex at will, is there any reason why humans shouldn't also procreate, have sex at will? And it really introduced this new line of thinking of the pursuit of pleasure that we're just animals. But it didn't work. It doesn't work. Even those who are shaped by that thinking, who the roots of their belief system are that we are just animals and sex is just a response to a desire for pleasure, even those individuals come into conflict with what they're believing. I want to introduce to you an actress that will not be unfamiliar to you, the very beautiful, very talented Kate Hudson. And she shamelessly claims to view this worldview of sex, that we are just animals. But she says this, I don't think we're made up to be monogamous. We are animals. That said, I could never be in a relationship that wasn't monogamous. I couldn't deal with it. There's something sacred about the relationship that is broken. Despite her certainty, she's uncertain. And she's pulled towards monogamy, even though she doesn't believe in it. Why? Why is she? I know why. I know why. And what I'm about to tell you in the fourth step of healing is going to answer that question. It's also going to make some of the puzzle pieces of your life fit in a way that you just, you couldn't have imagined. Maybe, for example, you remember the first time you viewed pornography. It could have been 30 or 40 years ago, but you remember the dust particles in the attic. Of course, I'm talking to those who are really old because you would have been looking at magazines, not something on a digital screen. Maybe you're younger, but you can describe in great detail everything you saw through the pixels of a computer screen that day. And you can hear the sound of a a grass mower outside the window that's near the computer that you're on. Or maybe the thing that has never really fit into your life or your understanding is the fact that every time you have a fight with your spouse, you think, 
ah, but I really was, in God's eyes, married to that person. Maybe it's conflict that you have with someone that was abusive to you. The conflict being, I know that that relationship was abusive. I did not want that to happen to me. So why do I still have these feelings that I can't explain about that person? Why do I pine for that person? Why do I think of that person? Why do I yearn for that person? Why do I miss a person that wounded me so deeply? I can help those things make sense. Maybe you're just a little bit like Kate Hudson and you've tried to think of sex in terms of something that's just physical. And you've even tried to reason to yourself, yeah, that was just a physical relationship. It shouldn't have a hold on me. But deep in your heart, deep in your spirit, you have a craving. You wanted it to mean something. And you're just a little bit heartbroken that it didn't mean something to them. I can help you. I can move you forward in your freedom today because God moved me forward in mine. Now, it might seem obvious that this step, in contrast to the other steps, is really going to land primarily in the area of sexual healing. So where have we been? We started at step number one, identify lies you've believed. Step number two, forgive people who've wounded you. And the very last one, step number three, confess your sins one to another. And now step number four, as we explore this topic of really just unbinding yourself from unhealthy emotional relationships, it's not an easy one. And it will help you with maybe some of your relationships that haven't been sexual. It might help you with some of your familial relationships. I'll talk a little bit about that. But primarily, I want to help you with areas of sexual brokenness. Now, we're going to start in Genesis 2. Open your Bibles to Genesis 2. If we don't firmly root this step in the words of truth, we run the ironic risk of running amok with untruth. So we're going to start right here. At the beginning, you'll notice as our time goes on together, that I really like to go back to Genesis for my sexual theology. I jump over Leviticus and Romans 1 and all the stuff that makes everybody all a little a Twitter with frustration and fight. And I go back to the beginning where God defined things. I think if we understand the definition of things, it makes those other passages make a little more sense. So back to the beginning, Genesis 2:21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. One of course, it's speaking of the sexual union, and this is a supernatural occurrence. I find it ironic that so many of us believe in a what we claim is a supernatural faith, but when we get to some of these truly supernatural territories, we get a little nervous about the supernaturality of it. And this is one of those things. So let me just remind you that God is describing a supernatural act here when he talks about this one flesh union. I want to read to you from Marriage. Again, this is a book that my friends at Moody Publishers compiled. Several different authors wrote in it. And they write this. The personal and sexual intimacy that Adam and Eve experienced as they became one flesh was not the first indwelling or penetration to occur among persons. 
It was, of course, the first of all human sexual unions, but the first indwelling or penetration among persons belongs to the eternal union between Father, Son, and Spirit. God is who he is by virtue of the indwelling intimacy shared by the divine persons. Apart from it, God would not be his triune self. The most sublime of all realities is reflected in our human existence, for we are who we are by virtue of the indwelling intimacy shared by human persons, apart from which we would not be ourselves. What is needed today is a better understanding of the person, not just as an individual, but as someone who finds his or her true being in communion with God and with others, the counterpart of a Trinitarian doctrine of God. God created marriage in such a way that it binds us to one another in oneness. And some people call that a soul tie, and I have found that that's a word that causes a lot of alarms to go off in people. So if that causes alarms to go off in you, then, then obey those. Use a different word, because in the psychological world, it's called enmeshment or bonding, depending on whether it's healthy or unhealthy. And if you want to, just use the Bible's word. Call it oneness. But it exists, and it is real. And I'm going to defend it in two ways for you today. Let me define a soul tie before I defend it. A soul tie is a relationship that binds us to another person. Pretty simple, right? It's a relationship that binds us to another person. Now, I have lots of different relationships. I have a relationship with my chiropractor. I love her. She's phenomenal. She's changed my life. But I'm not bound to her. If I find a chiropractor who does the job better at a better price, I'm going to comfortably move to that chiropractor without any um, misgivings or pain or trauma in my life. That's not true of my relationship with my children. I am bound to them in a way that God created for me to be bound to them. It's not true of my mother and my father. I am bound to them in a healthy, emotional way. It's not true of my husband. I am bound to him. So a soul tie is a relationship that binds us to another person. Now, I want to defend this in two different ways. And I specifically want to really zero in on sexual soul ties. So those soul ties that you have with someone you have had intimate acts of sex with. I believe that the concept of a sexual soul tie is physiologically defendable. That is biologically. I am going to show you how your body was created for monogamy. We're going to go back to look at the brain another time, and this time we're going to stop at the deep limbic system. It's the part of the brain that classifies odor, music, symbols, memory. It stores these things. And if you really think of it, that sounds a little bit like a recipe for romance. If you think of those things, odor, music, symbols, and memory, as a playlist downloaded in the name of romance or um, some cologne splashed on someone special's neck or a bouquet of roses, the symbol that's carried. God created this deep limbic system to help us connect to one another, and partly that is to help us with romantic connections. And there are some brain chemicals that wash over this part of the brain when that romantic relationship is consummated in the act of sex. It, those chemicals kind of work together to create a cocktail that seals those memories, those odors, those sounds, those symbols into your spirit, into your soul. 
it's what helps create the oneness. The two main chemicals that I want to talk to you about, the first one is a chemical called dopamine. Now, dopamine is released during the act of sex. It's released during any time, really, we feel pleasure. Um, it makes you feel good. Dopamine actually says, wow, that felt really good. Now, your body is, is it, I mean, you know, it's feeling pleasure, but dopamine is making your brain aware of the pleasure. It says that feels good, and it tells you this, do that again because it felt good. Now, anytime you experience pleasure, whether it's morally good or morally bad, you're going to get an increase in the dopamine that's in the deep limbic system. So are any of you runners? I am not. I run from bears. <laughs> but some of you run. I don't understand it just because I guess you like it. And there's apparently this wall that you get past where you hit the dopamine and you hit the pleasure and you start, have any of you ever felt that wall? Okay. So, so you, you have felt that dopamine kick in. You, maybe you felt it when you eat a good old, big old deep dish Chicago pizza. You know, you get to that place of satiation and satisfaction. You can feel the dopamine sinking into your brain. But the thing is, dopamine is not going to tell you whether that pleasure is good or bad because you're also going to experience a download of dopamine if you're doing crystal meth or if you've just hired a prostitute. And so that download, whether it's morally good or morally bad, if you feed it, can create addiction. Now, that could be a good thing if you think of it in terms of being addicted to running or if you, you're addicted to working out or if you're addicted to eating carrots and salad. Like, that, you do get dopamine from carrots and salad. Some of you don't know this, but you do. It could be a good thing in terms of being addicted to having sex with your husband or your wife. You see, the dopamine, when we use it in a healthy way and we're aware of it, drives us to things that create pleasure that are good for us. But we are also prone to use it to drive us to things that are very harmful to us. But the ironic thing, a Stanford University study, when, when the whole friends with benefits thing was huge and really new, and it was the buzzword and the language, it, it was studying this whole friends with benefits thing and noticing that people tended to come back to the same friend for benefits. So what was that? What was that? Well, if they got the dopamine from any old friend, then why are they going back to the same one? Well, let me introduce you to the chemical of oxytocin. Oxytocin is the second critical chemical. It has a counterpart in males called vasopressin, although males also create oxytocin. And a tiny little download of oxytocin is created anytime you have skin-to-skin -skin contact with anyone. I have not really explored this in detail, but... Every time I say that, I wonder about the laying on of hands that is instructed to us in Scripture. You know, if God says, lay a hands on someone when you are praying for them, is he aware of chemical reactions happening in our body that will aid in the process of prayer and healing and hopefulness? Just touching one another can create a tiny little download of this oxytocin. Now, what does oxytocin do? Oxytocin creates emotional peace. Oxytocin is the rose-colored glasses of relationship. It's what makes a wife not notice that her husband's socks are in the middle of the floor. Again. It's what makes her husband look at the honey-do list 
with joy. Oxytocin is a good tool in a healthy relationship. It makes us feel good about ourselves. It makes us feel good about our bodies. It's one of the reasons why I think they say that the most sexually satisfied individuals on the planet are middle-aged people in mutually monogamous relationships. And what is that? They're being faithful to one another. They're providing one another with lots of oxytocin. And they feel hot and sexy, and they're not as hot and sexy as they once were. Did you catch the middle age thing? <laughs> but that oxytocin is feeding their confidence. It's feeding their sense of peace. It's feeding their sense of, I'm OK. Now, the very first time that a human feels this download of oxytocin or experiences it is when they're a brand new baby and they're, they're breastfeeding. And the mama is getting these deep downloads of oxytocin. The baby is getting deep downloads of oxytocin. And what is that oxytocin doing primarily? Its function is not addiction, but connection. And so oxytocin is telling your brain, you belong. You're not alone in this world. You are forever belonging to this one. It's glue. Dr. Joseph McElhaney of the Medical Institute for Sexual Health says the oxytocin is so powerful that the feeling of connection that two people have when they have sex is not just emotional, it is physiological. There is a brain glue that puts them together and makes them one. You were created for monogamy. And here's the thing, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. Every time you have sex with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. That's the science of the soul tie or the bonding or the oneness. But now we have to look at God's word. What does God's word say about this? Did, did he miss this? Well, I've already started in Genesis where he talks about the oneness. Is it referenced anymore? Yes, it's referenced again and again. I'm only going to take you to one passage where it's referenced. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to read verses 15 and 16. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. So here's the Apostle Paul in a passage that really dissects some really important sexual theology for us. And he takes what is inarguably a consumer relationship. There is no expectation that there's to be a relationship here. This is a consumer transaction. I am going to pay you for sex. And he says, even in that, the most casual of sexual encounters and intentions, you cannot override the oneness of God. You cannot override the fact that he has created your body for monogamy. You cannot override the fact that your brain will be glued to the other. You can't. It's biblically defendable. It makes some of the puzzle pieces fit, doesn't it? It helps us understand some of our brokenness. And I have to tell you that what I have come to believe is that God has to heal our brains in a supernatural way. 
when we pray for someone who's had multiple sex partners, some of the women I've prayed with cannot count the number of sex partners they've had. I still walk them through one by one, everyone whose name they can remember because sometimes they don't know the names of all of them. And then when we get past the names, I say, okay, you can't remember the name of that one. Can you describe where you were? Remember the experience. God knows who that person is. He knows how the bonding happened. He knows about the oneness and he can break it. If he can make it, he can break it. And so we must seek God for a supernatural unbinding, a supernatural unoneness, a supernatural healing. And I believe that when he does this in our brains, it's just as if we were praying for someone who had diabetes, a very real physical condition, and we were asking God to reorder their bodies to be healed. And I have seen someone healed of diabetes. If there's a broken limb or a broken lung or whatever, we're never afraid to ask, God, would you supernaturally heal this? Why would we be afraid to ask him to supernaturally heal our brain? We shouldn't be afraid of that. You know why we shouldn't be afraid of it? Because I think our brain is the hardware of our soul. We should probably be praying about that and taking care of our brains better than any other organs, but generally we're not. I want to tell you a few things about soul ties so you can understand the difference between when they're a good soul tie and when they're a bad soul tie. So an unholy soul tie is sometimes referred to as enmeshment in psychological settings, and they're destructive. These relationships are not going to leave you better. They're not going to build you. They're going to break you down. You're going to feel pain when that relationship is over. The boundaries are permeable and unclear in unholy soul ties. You don't know where you begin and where they begin and end. The relationship's confusing. You don't know if you're together or apart. You don't know how to define the relationship. That's, I think, one of the reasons God gives us the boundary of marriage for sex, so that we have something to define where we begin and end and where we become one. An unholy soul tie is characterized by control, dependence, and undue influence. So when you're in a relationship and there is an overwhelming amount of control, or if there's control in the bedroom, if there's a dependence and you see even a married couple that their oneness has become confusing to them and there's something a little off kilter and they're just unable to do things or make decisions independent of one another, that's not healthy. And that might not necessarily mean that there's sexual sin or that kind of thing in their relationship, but there's something in their oneness that needs a little bit of adjustment and a little bit of healing. It's also characterized by undue influence. So when you see situations where there's abuse involved, I prayed with a girl whose boyfriend was very controlling about how she did her hair, how she did her nails, how she dressed. That's not healthy. That's a good sign that this is an unholy relationship. An example of this in the Bible would be Dinah and Shechem, Genesis 34. It's an abusive relationship. If you read Genesis 34, you'll recognize and you'll see the story of an unholy binding, but there is a binding there. A holy soul tie would be referred to as an attachment in psychological settings, and they're life-giving. They're good for you. You feel peace. You feel pleasure. You feel wholeness. And I have seen dating relationships where there was a healthy relationship, and even after the relationship ends, there might be some pain, but it's not a sustained pain. 
And it's not a deep, deep wound. It's not a traumatic pain. A holy soul tie, in a holy soul tie, boundaries remain intact. So I know where Bob begins and ends, and Bob knows where Dana begins and ends. Now, it's not that Bob and Dana haven't spent a lot of time in a counseling room figuring that out. You know, you may have heard, maybe if you've spent any time in marriage counseling, they talk about stay in your hoop. And they actually put Bob and I in our own hula hoops. And they showed us how those hula hoops do now in oneness overlap a bit, but there's still a Bob space and there's still a Dana space. You understand that and you live in that space when your attachments are holy. I can still do the things God's called me to do and live out the assignments that God's called me to with or without Bob. I don't want to do it without Bob. There's not a desire in me to do it without Bob. It would be a great heartache in my life to do my life without Bob, but I could because our attachment is healthy and holy. A holy soul tie is characterized by community, interdependence, and worthy influence. When Bob comes to me and makes a suggestion about today's schedule or about the two-sided buffet, my goodness, my husband is obsessed with the two-sided buffet. When he makes a suggestion to me, he has earned the right to make that suggestion because he has made deposits in my life. We talk about it in terms of emotional banking. Bob has put good deposits in my heart. And so when he makes a withdrawal, that's a worthy influence. That is, it, it deserves to be there. We're interdependent on each other. We're better together than apart, but we will be okay if he's there next week and I'm here next week. And we can't be entirely together. And community, the unity, the oneness, the friendship, an example of a holy cell tie in the Bible would be the entire book of the Song of Solomon. It's also quite steamy, a little R-rated. You cannot unbind yourself from an unhealthy emotional attachment. You cannot do it, but God can. He did it for me. As I said, this was the hardest of the six steps for me to understand and grasp. So I want to take you back to that time when I was first prayed through these six steps by my friend Lynn Nold. So I went to her with a presenting issue of unforgiveness involving some trauma and some pain in the church that Bob and I were attending at the time. So the territory we were in had nothing to do with my relationship with my husband. But when we got to this step, in the process, instead of skipping over it, Lynn stopped and she asked God's spirit, we're not in this territory, but do you want me to stop here? Now, she will tell you that the thing that ran through her head was, this is Dana Gresh, the author of And the Bride Wore White, who's like running around the country telling all the people about sexual purity and sexual wholeness. Surely she doesn't need to do this step. Now, she had never read my book. She didn't know there was sexual brokenness in my past. She kind of looked at me at the poster girl for purity. I was not, I am not. But she trusted God's spirit and God's spirit said, land here. She was still insecure. So what she did was she looked at me and she said, Dana, I want to ask you a question. I feel a little foolish asking it, but is it possible? Are there any other issues that are unrelated to this issue of unforgiveness that you've come for prayer for? that God wants to deal with today. Would you just close your eyes and listen? And so I did. And the weirdest thing in my life that has ever happened and probably will ever happen, happened to me. And that is this. 
the name of the boy that I had sex with when I was a teenager ran through my head. And the only way I can describe it is literally it ran through my head like a freight train, starting far off to the right of me. And, it, and I heard it growing louder. And then it was in my head, very loud. And then it ran out of my head. It was absolutely supernatural. So I looked at her and I said the name. And she said, who was that? And I told her. And she said, I want to talk to you about something called soul ties. And I thought she was crazy. I thought, okay, this blank knoll that I prayed God would make me friends with, maybe I don't want to be <laughs> friends with her. This was the first time we were meeting. But I decided to trust God's spirit with something I didn't understand. And so we just prayed a very simple prayer, and we asked for God to break any unholy binding, unholy oneness that existed between me and that boy. Now, fast forward six, eight, ten months, and suddenly I realize that for the first time, for any sustained period in my marriage, I haven't thought about him. When Bob and I fight, I don't punish myself by saying, in God's eyes, you were married to him, that boy. I had a supernatural healing in my brain. I know it. I absolutely believe it. And I believe that many of you need it too. And I also believe that many of you are afraid of it. I also believe that many of you, even though I have just defended it physiologically and I have just defended it biblically, you're afraid of it. And I am telling you that that fear is a tool of Satan. God did a miracle in me that day. Why wouldn't he? If we believe in a supernatural God, we must believe in his supernatural acts. I beg you, I plead with you. If you have sex partners in your past that you've never really just asked God to unbind you from, just, just try it. Just do it. Get with a friend and, and say, hey, listen, I just really want to pray through this. I want to forgive this person. And then, even if it was mutual, I want to forgive this person because we sinned together. I've asked God for forgiveness. I've never really said, God, I choose to forgive this person. Choose to forgive that person. And then ask God to break off what is unholy in your spirit and in your mind. Now, I want to deal with two very difficult issues because as I've been talking about this for about a decade, people often ask me about two complex situations. One is pornography and one is sexual abuse. And here's the thing. They want to know how do the chemicals work in those two instances. There's no easy answer. There's no easy answer, but let me help you gain some understanding. First, let's talk about pornography. I want to show you a graphic of dopamine output. You'll notice that our brain is generally at an output of about 100% of the dopamine that we need to function without being in a flurried sense of pleasure. So it's just this low level, 100% output of dopamine. Now, some people do function at a lower level and they need help with maintaining their dopamine. But one of the lines on here is food. So you see that food spikes us up to about 150% output. So you have that good deep dish pizza and you get 150% of the dopamine coursing through your brain, making you feel that pleasure. But within about an hour, that dopamine drops off to about 125 and then slowly, steadily declines. So God gave us a lot of natural forms of pleasure 
to experience that increase in dopamine. And food would be the lowest one you see here. One of the highest, the second highest you see is cocaine. And cocaine is going to give you about an increase up to about 400%. But you're going to see that cocaine, the second highest one, is going to start to drop in less than an hour. And it's going to drop very significantly within two hours. And it's going to drop quickly. What I really want you to compare is the two bold lines on here. The first one I want you to see is sex. Sex is going to give us an increase of about 250% units of dopamine. But sex is going to drop off really quickly. Within about an hour, you're going to begin to see it drop dramatically, and then it's going to slowly taper off. Pornography is different. Pornography increases our dopamine output to about 250% and is sustained for hours. It is the longest sustained dopamine output. It's not the highest. It's the longest sustained dopamine output that has been measured. One of the reasons for that is because the chemicals creating it are not external. They're in your brain. Your imagination is creating the pleasure. All of these other things are external sources of pleasure. So you're putting something in your mouth. You're interacting with another person to create that rise in your dopamine. But pornography is not considered a chemical addiction like all of these others. It's considered an arousal addiction because the chemicals are within you. You have to see that image, and then you can think about that image for hours, sustaining sustaining the dopamine. Therefore, what did I say the purpose of dopamine was? It creates addiction. It says go back to that source of pleasure. When you can sustain that for hours and hours and hours, suddenly you find yourself in a, an addiction that is very difficult to shake. Now here's a really important distinction of the dopamine that's created by pornography versus those other sources. Eventually, the level of cocaine, the level of pizza, the level of whatever you put into your body isn't going to be enough, and so you have to have more of it. You have to have more alcohol. But pornography, since it's an arousal addiction, you don't need more, you need different. Therefore, we introduce the incredible risk of harmful behaviors. Pornography can quickly escalate into harmful forms of pornography. They're going to twist and distort your belief system even more deeply. So I don't have an easy or clear piece of advice for you when it comes to helping yourself or helping others with a pornography addiction. What I can tell you is this that in most cases, when pornography has escalated to the level of addiction, you're going to require professional help. And in every case, you are going to be required to apply prayer and fasting. This one is not easy to break. What about sexual abuse? I'm asked over and over again, does bonding occur between a victim and a perpetrator? Does bonding occur between a victim or perpetrator? And here I want to say something to those of you in the room who have experienced abuse. Don't be afraid of what I'm going to share with you. Any piece of information that God gives you is a little piece 
of hope in your story. And what I'm about to share with you is a little piece of hope, and we're going to help you apply it to your heart. You are safe. So here the answers become a little bit more complex because although oxytocin is a major subject of study, the number of studies on sexual violence in humans and oxytocin, as you can imagine for various reasons, are very limited. What we do know is that the neurochemicals act very different in cases of acute trauma. So let's talk about first just rape. One paper published in the European Journal of Psychotraumatology provides insight into whether or not oxytocin is released during non-consensual sex, resulting in any potential bonding. We know that the body does not react the same way when sex is not consensual. So what does happen is the body goes into fight or flight mode. Instead of oxytocin and some of the other chemicals released during a consensual sexual transaction, the body is flooded with cortisol and adrenaline. So that woman or that man moves into fight or flight mode to protect. Now, remember, this isn't a case of rape or trauma from someone they don't know. So they didn't know this was coming. This came out of the blue. One of the interesting things that they're observing is that after they are in a safe environment, if it is soon, so let's say they experience trauma and rape and they go tell someone very quickly within hours. They go to the police very quickly within hours. It appears that oxytocin is readily available between the healer and the victim at, at a higher level than it would be if I walked into the police department right now to talk about something having not experienced an acute trauma. And I believe, and research seems to be revealing, that the purpose of that would be to aid in that abused individual's healing. Now, if they don't go tell someone, if they don't report it to the police, that increase in oxytocin for that trauma victim doesn't seem to happen. But it does seem that oxytocin could be playing a major role in their healing if they get help quickly. So get them help quickly. When somebody comes to you and says, I've just been date raped, the church should be the first to say, I don't have to sort out what I believe or don't believe. I know you're in trauma and you need help right now. What kinds of help do you need? Because if we respond correctly, God has created their body to help them and for you to help their body in their healing process. We can help them promote a healthy recovery. Now, here's the harder part. Not all cases of sexual abuse are acute and traumatic like rape. Some of them are domestic in nature. Some of them are ancestral in nature. Some of them are a relative, a grandfather or a cousin. What happens with the dopamine and the oxytocin in those situations is a little more complicated and very confusing. Because if you're already in relationship with someone, you already have an oxytocin bond to them. A mother, a father, a grandfather, a grandchild, maybe even cousins can have some oxytocin interaction in their childhood. And so, because that bonding is there, and even in the case of marriages that are unhealthy, where there's an unhealthy abuse or undue control, there's obviously oxytocin and dopamine present in those relationships where abuse is happening. And so what we're seeing is that these women and these men are very confused. 
And the confusion isn't just emotional or mental. There's physiological stuff happening in their brains. For the, for the woman who was abused within her marriage, she's saying, but it felt good, dopamine. I'm addicted. You've seen and you've heard stories of women returning to their abusers again and again. Maybe it's a live-in boyfriend. That's because they are addicted to their abuser through dopamine. And they are bonded to their abuser through oxytocin when they have had encounters that they thought were healthy, but maybe weren't as healthy as they imagined. This is even true of children who are abused by a family member. Now, why would I tell you they're confused? Well, I would tell you they're confused so that you would begin to understand yourself if you feel a little confused about the relationship with your abuser. You're not alone. Your body was not used in the way God intended it to be. And you're going to sort it out. You're going to figure it out. And he's going to heal you. He can heal you. It's going to take all of these six steps, and it's going to take the miraculous interaction of God. You cannot unbind yourself. It is a supernatural act of God. But he can unbind you from that past. He can unbind you from those pornographic memories and that addiction. He can unbind you from the person you thought was going to be the one, but turned out to be the one that broke your heart. He can do it. This message was presented at the Pure Freedom Masterclass. It's the fourth in a series of six entitled Pure Freedom Masterclass, Six Steps to Healing Series. Be sure to take time to apply what you've learned in this podcast before you move on to step number five. It is beneficial to complete this step with a godly brother or sister. Simply pray and ask God to release you from any unholy bonding or enmeshments. Make sure to list each person individually and believe that God can do what you were asking of him. You'll be ready for the next podcast after you complete this task. If you enjoy this series and want to dig in deeper, consider joining us at next year's Pure Freedom Masterclass. Learn more at danagresh.com backslash masterclass. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries.